Culture. This is Clint. And this is Steve. And we're excited to be back with you guys for another beautiful summer evening. It's like living in an oven. It, it actually is. If you guys haven't seen the weather in the south recently, it may or may not be in the 90s and 100s. But you know what's beautiful time. about it? Is it's not just hot, it's humid. But you can swim outside, not yeah, just in the pools. There's, there's the gulf. Okay. Anyway, Clint, uh, it's good to see you again. Good to see you too. Uh, this is a wonderful. And have you taken anything new? I beat you too. You did. You did. You <laughs> uh, caught me off guard with it too, you jerk. Uh, no, not not per se. Pretty much, kind of gave it all. I would say, like, this isn't really media, but my parents were in town a couple weeks ago. Yeah. We went out to San Antonio, and so we got to go to a lot of the historical sites, like uh, the Mission Concepcion, which is like that original mission there. Yeah. Um, and we just got to like walk around and see some of the history. And while that's not necessarily a media per se, I think it's it's also something that, especially some of these old churches that reflects God. Because Mission Concepcion was built, I mean, hundreds of years ago. Is that the one that's still operating? It is. It's like the old Franciscan was built. It was built by the Franciscans and the indigenous people. Yeah. I went to Mass there, actually. Yeah. It's a really, really cool Yeah. So if you guys ever come to Texas, highly recommend checking out San Antonio. It's probably my favorite city that we have here in Texas. Honestly, yeah. Um, There's there's a reason that, like, I chose that as my. Yeah. yeah. As much as I, I do enjoy living in Houston, the people, when they come to visit, they're like, oh, what should we go see? And I'm like, I can show you NASA yeah. and the Gulf. Okay, now what? <laughs> yeah, for me, I think, well, Houston's great. It's a concrete jungle. Um, I like I like uh, hiking and the outdoors a little bit. Um, and I like all the cool stuff that we have in Houston, but... Sometimes I, um, it's just like, wow, there's just so much stuff, so much concrete. Yeah. It's very man-made. You can go, like, set up some chairs and watch them build uh, highways. You can walk on a very flat surface Yeah. and maybe find a bayou with an alligator. I was talking to Father Clint the other week and, um... Different Clint. Yeah, not me. Clint is neither a priest nor a biological father that I know of. Definitely not. Okay, good. Just making sure. Okay. That was weird. Okay. Uh, and we were talking about how hard it is to find places to hike around here. And he says he actually goes to parking garages and hikes there because that's the only place you can find elevation in the city. That hurts my heart. And we're going to move on. Can you take me to the media? <laughs> uh, I have, yeah. So I've been watching, I, I don't mention this in, in previous episodes, but I've been starting to watch some Fortnite on Twitch. I've been watching Bearded Blevins. Do you know who that is? I've heard the name. Okay. Isn't he pretty, like, relatively famous? Do you, know who, do you know who Ninja is? I've heard of Ninja. Okay, so Ninja is, like, the biggest streamer. Yeah. So, Bearded Blevins is also a streamer, but it's Ninja's older brother, who is also... He works for a church in... I think you were telling me this. This is why all these names sound familiar. Okay. Yeah, okay. So I've been watching him... I'm like wondering, I'm like, I don't watch Twitch, but all these names sound very familiar. Yeah, yeah, That's why. So I've been watching him again. I still don't get Fortnite, but I'm trying to. My understanding is the video game. It it is. 
Yes, yes. I'm just, I'm so bad at it. I was talking to my brother today, and I was like, hey, have you ever, like, have you ever won Victory Royale, which is, like, winning the game? So it's basically, there's a hundred people, and you're thrown into this island, and it's the last person standing, basically. Yeah. It's like, have you ever won Victory Royale? And he's like, yeah, I've won, like, literally hundreds of times. So it's like, oh, okay. Uh, I suck. <laughs> Please teach me. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Um, and then, so I've been watching him a little bit. Um, Hopefully we can have him on the show in the future. Uh, he's a pretty cool guy. And then I actually, I don't know if you've been watching our, our Twitter, but he was talking about playing Pokemon Go. So I added him on Pokemon Go and yeah. uh, started playing that again. Oh, cool. So, I, apparently it's a little different now. Oh, yeah. It's it was at the inception. It's way, 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 way different. My, uh, one of my coworkers still plays it. Yeah. Was it the one from Ave? No. Uh, this one is one who listens to our podcast sometimes. Her name is Sandra. Shout out. Shout out, Sandra. I think we've given Sandra a shout out before. I think so. I but she's good people, so she gets a shout out yeah. today as well. Yeah. So I, I always say I listen to a ton of podcasts. So I've actually been listening to less podcasts. Uh, I know. But I started a new one called Start With This. It's actually one that Gordon told me about. Huh. It's to help people create things. So how to write, how hmm. to create uh, like podcasts, like story podcasts. It's basically just like how to become a storyteller and like create things that I'm Which is really great because storytelling is how we do lots of stuff. Yeah. And express our encounters with God. Stories are my thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of what we do here in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but because I've been listening to less podcasts, I've actually been listening to more music. Mm-hmm. And so I went and just something dangerous. I went and listened to Hot Hits on Spotify popular songs. Yeah. And I hated most of them because <laughs> I don't like most of the stuff that's out right now. Yeah. But honestly, there's a song out right now that's kind of cheesy, but actually super catchy called Old Town Road. Yep. I've heard it. By uh, Lil Nas X and Bill Gray Cyrus. Super catchy. And I may or may not have had it on repeat for yeah. the whole day. A lot of the new interns at work are youngins because they're all in college. Yep. They were talking about that song, and I like, knew it. And they were like, you know that song? And I was like, I mean, I don't live under a rock. <laughs> and they were teasing me about being old. They were like, oh, yeah. I too have hit young fellows. And I was like, all right, you guys are all dead to me. Yeah. It's, it's not crazy, like, good lyrically, but it's it's super catchy. Yeah, and I mean, it was really funny to be like, wow, you're too old to hear, like, a popular song now. And I was yeah. like, yep, you know me, just ancient. <laughs> Basically. Um, and the last one I had. Is a song called Civil War by Rush. Also pretty good. And uh, I think that's all I got. Alright, well, a couple weeks ago, almost like a month, or, I don't know, it was a while back, the final season of Game of Thrones was on air. Yeah. And I did watch that. Please don't judge me. I mean, I guess you can. And I realized that a while back we had talked about a little bit, like, touched on some Game of Thrones stuff, and we never had an episode. So I want to preface this by saying, like, regardless of where you guys fall on that, like whether or not you think it's a good show to watch, like I recognize it has a lot of bad things in it. Mm-hmm. But part of the aim of this podcast is to not necessarily shy away from the controversial, but to show that, like the early apostles, they were not pagans, right? But they listened to the stories of these pagans anyway, and they found where Christ was shining through, right? because all the stories ultimately 
are going to reflect it in some way if it's a good story that's trying to do anything. And so even though that was the case, they listened and they were able to point that out, and that's how they evangelized. So at the very least, even if you don't watch the show, you have no intention of watching the show, and you're morally opposed to the show, uh, we hope that you, at least by listening to this, might be able to find some of these themes that you can then help lead some of your pagan friends like us that did watch the show. Yeah, because the reality is, whether, whether we like it or not, people are watching this, and it's by far the most popular show that's ever been on television. So uh, chances are you know a ton of people who are watching it who are not familiar with the story of, of Christ and, yeah. and the good news. But hopefully through this conversation, you'll have somewhere where you can breach that topic with them through something that they enjoy. Yeah. So even if you're not super familiar with it, that's kind of our hope from the show is to be able to give you something to reach out to those people with. Yeah, and I think that's really, uh, really important. And then we'll touch a little bit on the incredibly controversial final season, which a lot of people are mad about. But I mean, come on, what did we expect? This is a show that had a lot of really bad things that we didn't want to happen happen. That's uh, true. And to expect the ending to be everything we've desired is, I think, to forget what George R. R. Martin was trying to accomplish with the show by showing that, hey, sometimes things don't always work out great, but in the end, they do work out. You know, maybe not in the way we necessarily expect or want, which in itself is a spiritual lesson. So we're not going to touch on everything because there's a lot of seasons of really long episodes. Well, and there's a lot of lore, too. I mean, this is... I haven't seen the last season, but George R. R. Martin has so much, like, content built into this world. Like, it's... it's a, I mean, it's kind of like a, a high fantasy, right? Yeah. Where there's, there's so much different stuff built in, there's no way we can cover all of it. So, right. so we'll touch on a few, I think, um, key things that are very prevalent I think the first one we'll talk about is sort of the Night's Watch, right? Because we've mentioned that in the previous episode. Yeah. Uh, the Night's Watch is this sort of group of men, and it generally consists of outcasts uh, from society, and they go and live at this wall, which is a big ice wall, castle black, and they're meant to defend against the White Walkers, right? And, um, which are like the undead, right? No one's seen them for, for centuries. But they don't even believe they exist anymore. Yeah, people don't even believe they exist anymore, or if they ever existed. And really, it's just to like keep the wildlings, which are these northern barbarians, out from raiding. Uh, but they take these vows, you know, that they'll hold no title, they'll hold no lands, they won't get married or have any children. Yeah, we have pulled up. Yeah. So the full vow that they take when they are initiated is this: Night gathers, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the washer on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realms of men. I pledge my life and honor to a night's watch for this night and all the next to come. And so I think there is some parallel between that and priesthood. Yeah, even so, well, we talked about this on the show a while back where mm -hmm. One of our friends actually had a post that it was about the priests. Yeah. And it was this oath, but instead of saying the next watch, it says the priesthood. Yeah. It's important to remember that we, as a church, are the beacon of light on the hill. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's important, and it's so important to pray for our priests because they really are the ones that are, for all these purposes, on the front lines, like 
really fighting Satan in a way. I mean, they're the ones who bring us the sacraments. You know, and so it's important to pray for them. But yeah, I think that that parallel is just very clear, right? That there's this self-sacrificing, um, willing to serve the church, right? Serve the realms of man, but in this case, like serve the church, like serves Christ's people, serve the kingdom of New Jerusalem and New Israel through this sacrifice, right? It's focused on these people and others other than myself. Like you're sacrificing a lot of yourself for the purposes of others. If we haven't mentioned it yet, obviously there's going to be a lot of spoilers in this. I mean, I'm sure if, you, if you're playing and watching, you've probably seen it at this point. But one thing I do want to point out before we dive like too heavily into Night's Watch is kind of going off of what you said before, how everyone didn't believe that the White Walkers even existed anymore, right? And so if these men were here for thousands of years and they've had this order that's been there to protect us from this evil, and now, after thousands of years, no one's seen this evil, and so they don't believe it exists. Yeah. That sounds exactly like our perception of evil and Satan and hell now. I forget the stat, but it's a ridiculous number of Catholics and Christians who don't believe hell even exists. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate. Which I think we Satan wants. Because he's exactly. meant people that hell doesn't exist, and it's much more easy for people to be lukewarm in their faith. Yeah, C.S. Lewis talks about that too. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's like one of the things that's so eerie about scripture is when Christ's talking about it, he said it's better to be hot or cold, but like to be lukewarm. I'll spit you out. Yeah. Because if, if you don't believe that Satan is real, if you don't believe hell is real, then you have no motivation to defend yourself against evil things. And so it becomes so much easier to open yourself to be susceptible to, to all that evil. Yeah, right? It's true. And so I, I just think that it's kind of a pretty obvious reflection into yeah. our own lives. Going off with Jon Snow, who's one of the main characters, though, he's a member of the Night's Watch, he takes this vow. Yeah. He's one of the few who actually takes it very seriously. And it was funny because uh, we mentioned her on the podcast, she did an episode for us, Mackenzie. was very mad that we did that one little section. Where she talked about getting the first episode. I might hear about it. That's fine. But she brought it up. And I think it's important to recognize it's true. Jon Snow, who does show, I think, a lot of, like, a lot of honor. He's a very Christ-like figure in a lot of ways in the show. Yeah. He is still human. Right? He's not necessarily like a pure Christ figure. But I think that, I think back to, I had a class on modern Catholic literature, and I read a book called The Thanatos Syndrome, and there were a lot of books where the priest was this broken character that was all but apostate, like all, all but almost apostated. And it was through this story that was being told that they came back. And so there's this section where he's north of the wall, and he starts breaking some of his vows, right? He ends up with uh, with a woman, and then later ends up having to kill her because he ends up taking his vows back up, and she's a wildling, and he's defending the castle. And she's attacking. And she's attacking, and it's really, really sad. And it shows, like, yeah, like, that's not a good thing for him to have done. But he's also a broken person, yeah. right? But, I mean, look at Peter. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but he ends up getting stabbed a bunch of guys. Let's, let's elaborate on that. Yeah, because <laughs> so I want to I want to go off on kind of talking about the whole Night's Watch and not not just Jon Snow, 
broke his vows. And he kind of hinted at this, but they would sneak away into the local village and spend the night with prostitutes or whatever. They almost all of them broke at least one of the vows at right. some point. And so and for the most part, like the the night's watch really wasn't what it intended. It had fallen far from what it is. And I think um, in a certain extent like we, we even see that today. Well that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah. Because if you look at it, you said when Jon Snow becomes he actually becomes the leader of the Night's Watch. He has the commander. And that's when he stabbed him. The people who stab him are not the enemies. They're not the, the White Walkers or the Wildlings. It's the other priests. And so you already hinted at this, but he's supposed, to a certain extent, a little bit of a Christ figure in some ways. And so if in this situation we look at him as a Christ figure, we see this this priesthood, this this church, turning against their Christ figure yeah. right, through their, their own corruption. So... I think you're right on the head that the corruption of... And if you remember, like, what was the big thing against them? Is he was adamant, because he had seen the White Walker, he had seen the Night King. He was adamant that this evil that people didn't believe in, uh, that it existed and was coming, and they didn't want to listen. And so they tried to take him out. Exactly. And so I I, I, I think that's, that's real. I'm not saying, obviously, all priests are like that. I'm not saying all the church is like that. But there are definitely people, lay people clergy within all levels of the church who I think fall into that category. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is really shown. And, and I kind of want to show this because it really does show that he does actually get raised from the dead, which is like such a big, like, okay, this it's is very clearly... It's a resurrection. Yeah. Resurrection. It's very clearly portraying that well, scene. And, and who resurrects it? The, the this, this entity uh, called the Lord of Light. Lord of Light. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Which... Obviously, I don't know if you're probably going to that too, but I think the, the kind of, what is it, the priestess? Yeah, all the, the Melisandre, yeah. Melisandre, like all the priestesses that are along that are all extremists too, and they make a lot of really awful mistakes on their side too. They do. We see kind of this extremist in that front too. So we definitely see like anything reflecting faith is almost always extremism, and there's the... Gods, uh, the seven, the seven, like those are about as extreme as you can get. Yep. So, and it, it's actually so interesting because, in a lot of ways, the Lord of Light is this entity, character, whatever, that is just trying to defeat the Night King. This thing that's this evil entity, right? That is just going to march on the land of the living and, and snuff out life. Yeah. So the Lord of Light is this creature of fire because the only thing they can kill a white walker is fire or um, they call it dragon glass which is obsidian because it's like it's supposed to be like solid fire right that's the only thing they can destroy it and so throughout all of it you have this night king in the background and so you have two stories kind of going on you have that story which is john trying to convince people that there is this evil and it's he raises the dead, so when he kills you, he raises you up. And so his army's growing because they keep killing more and more people. Yeah. And he's trying to convince the realms to, hey, there's this threat that's happening, and we need more than just these few people. And then he lets, and this is like why he got killed, he let the wildling on the other side. He's like, we need these barbarians. Like, we need them on our side. Well, he sees humanity. He does. Right? He's like, they don't deserve to die from this either. They're just trying to survive too. Yeah. Like, we can... We can save them, 
and by saving them, they might join us. Yeah, and not only just might join us, but if we don't save them, they too will be a part of this army. Yeah, yeah. Like they will become our enemies, um, our real enemies. And so, and everyone's like, look, this Night King doesn't even exist, but these wildlings do, and you're letting our enemies through. He's like, these aren't our real enemies. And how often does Satan want to divide us and make us look at each other as if we're each other's enemies, yeah. instead of who the real enemy behind it is? Yeah. So I think that that is really exciting, but, and I think there's a lot that goes into that. But the other story is this story where. There's so many that's one of the but the big other arc that's happening is the game of thrones right that the throne is you have all these factions that are trying to vie to sit on the iron throne and become the king right because the king robert baratheon died and everyone not everyone believes that his successor joffrey and then later tom there's tons of successors yeah it changes uh, hands a lot yeah that any of them are actually legitimate and so there's all these other more legitimate people that are coming through, and and that's kind of where I think a lot of the morally bad stuff comes in, I guess, right? Where people are like, "Oh, this show's so bad. Look at all this like horrible stuff that's happening." And I and I agree with you, but I think that's on purpose because one of the things that Game of Thrones does is it shows even like the dredges of like the worst of humanity and like what we're capable of. And what's important with that is to show like that everyone's so focused on this power and this creed. That what, and the, the Game of Thrones shows what happens when we lose sight of what's really important and we just focus on our own greed and our own self-interest. And it shows just how bad that is. And lust. Yeah. And how that can tear people apart. Yeah. I, I think the family that fits into this the most is probably the Lannister family. Yeah. Which is the wealthiest family in, in the entire land. They also become the most powerful family because the, the sister marries into or marries the king, and then her children become the next kings, and then she becomes the queen. So they have power. They have this lust because that's where the incest and like all this crazy stuff is happening, and that's where we see the most corruption, the most evil within that family. And but, you actually see her pride to the yeah. point, like in the final season it really shows her pride. Yeah. And, I, and we'll get into that later, but... Okay. One, one thing I did want to say, though, before we move on is... There's, so there's three siblings. So there's the... Are they twins? I think they are. I think they're twins. So it's... You know, I don't remember. Cersei and Jaime. Cersei and Jaime, and then Tyrion. Tyrion. So Tyrion is... The other uh, one. Yeah, he's a, he's a uh, half... Yeah, he's a, he's a dwarf. Dwarf, they say. So he's, he's a dwarf, and we see that. I would say in the first season, he might almost seem as immortal or even worse than the twins in some some ways. Like he's pretty bad. He's always out. He's never sober. He's always doing something wrong. He's always plotting and scheming. But I don't know what happened in the, in the final season. But when I left, he had made almost a complete turnaround. Like he, he doesn't does. drink. He he's actually one of the most moral characters, and we see kind of this redemption. This possible redemption, and actually Jamie too. Jamie eventually revives the evil within his family, and he yeah. turns too. And so that's something that um, Game of Thrones does really well: is it has you, it is some of the characters you like become characters you hate, and some of the characters you hate become characters you like. Right. And it sh- shows something beautiful about like humanity, and also like 
the power for us, power of redemption, and how we can change, and how even the best characters can fall. Like even the best of us can stumble and fall, and even some of the worst of us can repent and become free. Yeah. And I think that that is something that is very prevalent in the show, but also beautiful because it, it kind of I think causes us to think. Um, when I was reading The Name of God Is Mercy by Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I think it really exemplifies in this moment. They, they were asked, like, what advice do you give new priests when they go into like do confession for the first time? And he says to pray and remember all of the times that God has forgiven you, that you've stumbled and God has forgiven you. Yeah. Because it's in remembering God's mercy that we can more adequately give that mercy away. Right. And so sometimes you watch these terrible people and see some of them get redeemed and it reminds you, yeah, you know what, I'm a sinner too. And I also can find redemption like there. Regardless, uh, to go, I can go low. Yeah. As a song, and one of the, my favorite lines in Land of the Rising Sun is even, even if I, even you know, at the devil's table. Even at the devil's table. I love that line because it's like, even at the devil's table, we, the, no matter how far gone we go, we can always come back. Yeah. That God's mercy is still greater than that. And so, but you do see a lot of, a lot of the, I mean, it is really much show very much as a warning for what all of these horrible sort of sins can do. And so you see a lot of horror happening and then uh, one of the other big main characters, obviously Jon Snow convinces some people, including Daenerys Targaryen to come fight for the war the real war, because like there's this huge war right? the war for the throne is happening and he's saying no, 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 this isn't even the real war the real war is coming like this is just this is just the folly of man, but the war between life and death is upon us. Yeah, I that makes me think all the way back to even like the first season. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I didn't start watching until probably four or five seasons in. Yeah. Um, but when I watched the first season, and everyone else was like this too, when something big happened, like um, oh my gosh, what what was the Starks? Ned, uh, Ned, Ned Stark. Yeah. When Ned Stark died, everyone freaked out, and, and we realized, like, holy cow, this is going to be like no restrictions. Like, everyone's fair game, uh, and so we see, like, sort of seeing like all the chaos that's going on in the world, and then we find out the severity of this other war you're talking about, and everything else that's going on, like the death of Ned, the, the death of Robert Baratheon, like all these other little things we finally realize like how small they actually are. And I feel like that's us a lot of times. We're like, oh man, like my life's over. I had a bad day at work. Like, no, you just had a bad day at work. Yeah. You know, the real battle is so much bigger than your bad day at work. Don't get me wrong, like, I'm sorry. Like you had a bad day, but that's not the end. Like, there's something so much bigger going on here too, and we got to remember that because we we tend to get distracted by these little things and let them control who we are. Yeah, and so to kind of to change shifts because I think this is a really important yeah. arc. A lot of people got mad at this arc, but I think it was a really good character arc when you look back at it. Daenerys Targaryen. Oh, uh, the final season. Mm-hmm. So I'll explain. Daenerys Targaryen is this character that you are made to love. Yeah. And she has these dragons 
and she's overcoming all of this oppression, and then she flies over the sea from Essos into Westeros, which is where it's happening. She plays a pivotal part in the like the defeat of the Night King, right, and the defeat of the army of the dead. And she ends so up they losing. Beat him. They do. Yeah. Uh, they beat him halfway through the season. Oh, that's awesome. The last three episodes. And actually, I don't know if you knew who, who, who ends up killing the Night King. I don't. But it's Arya. Oh, that's why everyone was blowing up on Arya. Yeah. So, so, so Arya. So Arya Stark is uh, Jon Snow's sister. She's one of the few surviving Stark. Did she do it with Sting? Or she doesn't do it with Sting. She has a subsidian dagger, and she does the trick that she used when she was. So she joined this a group of assassins called the Faceless Men. Yeah. And actually, it's a it's a big throwback. But she meets Melisandre, this priest of the Lord of Light, early yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And there's this character who dies like like 13 times and keeps getting brought back to life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sir, um, I can't remember name, but, but he serves the Lord of Light. Yeah, but he serves the Lord of Light and he keeps being brought back. And when she first meets Arya, she says, you know, you will put, you will close many eyes, you will put many eyes to sleep for good. Green eyes, brown eyes, and blue eyes. And everyone thinks the blue eyes are in reference to Cersei. But like Melisandre reminds her of this, and it's at that exact moment she remembers. She looks and sees the White Walkers with blue eyes, and she remembers, oh my gosh. And then if she kills the White Walker, they, and all the reason, they all they all die. If the Night King dies, they all die. And so she realizes this, and it's this really powerful scene where that character like sacrifices himself. Like he's been brought back many many times, and he sacrifices himself to save Arya. And then Melisandre is there, and she's like, he he was kept by the Lord of Light for a purpose, and that purpose has been served. Oh wow! And it was to keep to to exist to save her in that moment. And then she does the trick that she has, where she has a dagger in one hand, and she goes and he can, and she like jumps from behind him, and he turns around and catches her by one hand, and like holds her by the throat and holds her dagger hand, and then she drops the dagger from her hand into the other and does that trick she used to defeat the wound, that girl from uh, yeah faces men like where she tricks and she drops the dagger, catches it, stabs him, and he bursts into the ice, and they all die. Wow! And so like she becomes this very pivotal, very pivotal thing, and like the very cool line that she uses is she's like, what do we do when we like, stare the god of death in the face? And she says, not today. And so yeah. she says that. And uh, it's a reminder that she's living for life, right? And that like, we shouldn't. But that's kind of a side tangent, but that's kind of what happens. Yeah, and awesome. it's a really powerful moment, and I think Arya, like there's a moment where Arya, and this is like Arya's redemption, she wants to kill Cersei. Yeah. And so in the final episode, everything's getting destroyed, and I'll explain what happens there. But she's marching in, in the Hound, who was someone she left for dead, and ended up being alive. As this one like kind of knight character looks at her, he's going to face her, his brother. And she looks at him, and she's like going to kill Cersei, and he's like, if you stay here, you'll die. And she's like, whatever. And he's like, no, you'll become like me. And he's like burnt and like so dead set on vengeance. And he's like, and so basically convinces her not to go kill Cersei because. He himself has had quite a redemption too. He did. He has, yeah. And he ends up actually defeating his brother by sacrificing himself. But they both die. But it's like this sacrifice, and uh, he does it because his brother's like undefeatable. Yeah. Um, he's also he's like a, a he's like an undead creature thing. Yeah. And so he gets like stabbed in the head and like, still lives. Like, yeah. The only way to kill him is through fire, which is like funny. Just so how this funny is a scared of fire. Because his old brother burned his, burned his face. face. Yeah, and so he's so hell bent on re- redemption, like on revenge, 
that he kind of looks at Arya and he's like, look, like, revenge has consumed you and you need to stop. Like, if you continue to follow this revenge, you will die in this castle. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop himself, but Arya, like, finally realizes, yeah, I will die here, and that's not my, like, and she, yeah. she has this, like, redemption about her. And so, in the very final, in the very end, she does what she says she was going to do after it's all done. She's going to see what's west of Westeros. And so she's on a ship, and she's, like, off exploring. And she, like, sails off. Really? Yeah. And that's how, that's how her arm ends. Yeah. Oh, she goes west so of Westeros. Cool. She's like, what's, what's west of Westeros? And says, no one knows. She's like, all the maps stop. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to find out. Estos, or... Yeah, so that's where she goes. Yeah. But I want to get back to Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, sorry. Because her, her story... She's so championed, and everyone loves her. Because of freedom. Because she of the freedom and the things she does. And then at the very end, the people are like, oh, like she completely switches character, right? Because she becomes like the Mad King almost. So just context for those of you who don't watch this. So she, she is the daughter of the former king, who was declared the Mad King. Because he uh, said burn them all. He, was, he went insane. He was going to burn everyone. And she fled with her family, and the rest of her family was killed, and she was sold off to a barbarian to basically get access to the barbarian's army, and then she ended up ruling that army and brought, used it to free a bunch of slaves over in Essos, which is this other nation, and by freeing the slaves, they all joined her as well, and she was it accumulated this massive army, which then she sailed across. Yeah. Then joined John. And she lost half of it in the war with the undead. Which makes sense. And they go to King's Landing. And this which is really, really important. And she's struggling because she just finds out that Jon Snow is actually Aegon Targaryen. Which is her nephew. Which is her nephew and actually the true-born heir because Rhaegar was next in line for the throne and was killed. And he which married... Her older brother. He married Lyanna Stark who is Ned's sister. And so Ned pretends that it's his bastard, but it's actually his sister's legitimate, because they were legitimately married, legitimate son. But he would have been killed. But he would have been killed, so he pretended it was his bastard. Because what you find out is the the war, which was that Rhaegar kidnapped Lyanna. Really, they had run away together. Really, they had run away together. And so Robert's rebellion was about a spurned love. Because everyone was like, that's not how Rhaegar was. He served the poor. He was a great man. And then somehow they were like, no, he snapped like every other Targaryen does. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he didn't. And it was an illegitimate war and an illegitimate thing. I mean, Mad King was bad, but Rhaegar was a good man, would have been a good king. And John's very much like his father, and he's very much like, he's, both, he's like very much like both of his fathers, because Ned raised him. And so he's got, he's a very kind-hearted man like Rhaegar, but he's got his, like, the honor of Ned. So he becomes like who should be on the throne and Danny recognizes this. And obviously, he doesn't want it because he doesn't want to lead. Yeah. And everyone's like, well, that's what makes you, that would make, what would be, make you a good leader. And he basically has pulled the realms together to stop the Night King. Like, he's a very great natural leader. But at the very end, like, Danny starts to snap because all of her closest advisors either betray her, like, various rights to people saying, like, trying to say, like, John is the rightful king and that Danny has no claim in the throne because she sees, he sees Danny like, becoming more and more cruel. And the thing that I want to point out with that is that you're actually becoming more of Yeah. The Tyrion, 
is so on her side because he doesn't want to admit he's wrong, but he eventually sees, like, and I'll explain how that happens, and then he convinces John, which is a really sad moment, but convinces John more that she's actually bad, that she's not fit to rule. And the reason that this happens is because she, throughout the entire series, would do things that were very cruel, but they were always the people we disliked. Like, her brother, like, she was very cold when he was killed because he was a jerk. Of course he's bad. She burned all of these slavers. Like, yeah, they were slavers. They're terrible. Of course she set fire to them. She killed the witch. Like, of course that was a good thing to do. She set all these people free. And there's one moment in one of the early seasons where she's like, I'm just going to start burning the city. And Tyrion's like, no, 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 look that. Think of all the people that are in there. And she listens to his counsel and doesn't burn the city. Well, it's kind of like, what is the scripture passage in Genesis? What if there's a hundred mm-hmm. good people in the city? Well, yeah. Then I'll let the city. Yeah. Well, what, if there's, what if there's ten? Exactly. What if there's just one? Right. And what's amazing is you get to that moment and Tyrion's like, if they ring the bells, they surrender. Because she's like, I'm just going to burn the city with my dragon. Because both her two other dragons died. One, the Night King killed, and actually turned into a White Walker dragon. I remember that. And the other one got killed, like, right when they were about to attack the city. They had these ballistas, and they killed the second dragon. So which one survived? Drogon. Of course. And Tyrion basically, like, there was this episode where she just, she actually is like, I'm going to attack the city, and he's like, just give them a chance. If they ring the bells, they surrender. And there's a moment where she is looking out, like Cersei's looking out, and she's so smug, and she refuses to admit that, you know, like there's an army that's bigger than hers outside the gates. And she's like, no one's ever breached, like the Red Keep, because like there's the outer walls and the Red Keep. And it's true because no one breached it. Even in Robert's Rebellion, they didn't breach it. It was Jamie who killed the Mad King. It was from the inside. It was her internal rebellion. And so what ends up happening is she comes through with this dragon and just blows and kills the lead, like hired this mercenary company. And she sets them all the mercenary company on fire and just blows up the front gate. And so all of her army just march right into the city. And it's at that exact moment that all the Lannisters are like, we're completely overrun. We no longer have the outer wall. And so they start ringing the bells. And she's looking at the Red Key, and she no longer trusts Tyrion because Tyrion told uh, John. Well, Tyrion told Varys, who then betrayed her. John told her sister. Or Tyrion only found out because John had told her sisters, who told Tyrion, who told Varys, who wanted to tell the realm. And so she didn't trust any of them anymore. And you see her like beginning to snap, and she's been cold, and like she no longer listened to that, and she starts burning the city including all the innocents. And it's whenever that first happens, that like they're like, we need to go, they've breached the city, and Cersei with her pride says, no one's ever breached the Red Keep. And they have this dragon and everything, and she thinks like, because she lets all the like, um, commoners into the Red Keep right. to like, prevent Danny from destroying it. Oh, she, she does let them come in? She lets them come in because she's using them as a shield, because she's like, Danny will never kill the innocent. And she says, no one's ever breached the Red Keep. And she like, knows that, and she's mentioned that that's actually her plot. It's like using as a shield. And she's like incredibly prideful. She's watching this army march, and she's like, I'm willing to sacrifice all these people for it. Danny unfortunately snaps and burns the whole city. And, Dan- and Cersei, for the first time, begins to be afraid. 
because she realizes this is named the hole that she burns the castle to the ground. Like, like not completely to the ground, but like destroys parts of the castle. And she just kills all these innocents. And Tyrion's like, you killed these innocents, and he quits his hand of the king, hand of the queen. Yeah. Because he, he even was willing to let her like admit she was wrong. And she was like, no, I did the right thing. He got so mad at her, like that's so outside of Danny's character. But Tyrion ends up talking to John to try to convince him. And she's like, he's my she's my queen, and this is her decision to make all this stuff. And he's like, when she killed these tyrants, she was just as cool then, just as like ruthless. But we cheered her on because they were people we didn't like. Now it's Tyrion's saying all this? Yeah, and he's like, now it's innocent and we're seeing who she truly is. And she's just she's always basically she's always been like it's just it always was people we didn't like. And so it reminds me of like false prophets. Yeah. That men there will be many false prophets. There will be people that we look at and we're like, oh man, this is the right person, this is the good person. But we and we neglect to see that it's not just about who they're doing these things to, but about what they're doing. Yeah. This actually reminds me of something Gordon said about what we were talking about at the time, but he talks about how a lot of the times when someone comes to us with their problems and, and like it's an issue with another person, we always side, side with the person that we love. Yeah. Right? So if if you came to me and someone at work was like just doing something to you and you told me your side of the story, chances are I'd probably side with you just because that, that's who we are is like following people. Yeah. But in reality, that's only half half the story. You know, like we're only seeing like this part of it rather than seeing maybe the other person's actually right and maybe the person that I love is wrong yeah. in this and I just don't like I'm not seeing the full picture here yeah. and I think that's kind of what's happening here too but in a, in a different way and it's true and what finally convinces John because he is so dedicated to her until the end yeah. because he's just so so loyal so loyal character and he's just like he's willing to even forego, like he's willing to even forgive what she did to that city if she would admit that it was wrong. And so he goes to her because she's like announcing like we're gonna continue onward. And like they they continue onward to all the other realms, to all the other like kingdoms. Cause like it's the seven kingdoms and she's gonna go to all the other castles and put all the lords in line and burn all the cities. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so she's willing to like continue to do it with the Dithraki. She's like, I told you, because she said this from the beginning, she was like, you would tear down their stone houses and like all these sorts of things. She's been telling the Dithraki, and she continues to say it to the Dithraki. And so he goes to her, and she's so convinced that she's right, that she doesn't even see that it's wrong. And he's like, but what if, the, and this is like, I think a beautiful, beautiful moment. And she was like, the realm doesn't need more war. Needs, needs a, it needs a, a reign of mercy. And it says this to her. And she's like, it will have mercy just as soon as we're done breaking the wheel. And once we destroy what is, then we can rebuild it with mercy. And he's like, how do you know you're right? What about all the other people who say they're right? And she's like, well, they don't get a say. They're not the queen. Right. Like, I'm, I get to determine what's right. And it's that, she's like, are you my, he's like, you're my queen always and forever, and he stabs her. He 
And that's how it ends. And like, it's sad because both of the women he's loved, he's had to kill out of duty. Because there's this line that he says, where he says that love is the death of duty. And Tyrion's like, did you make that up? And he's like, no, I heard it from Maester, like, who or Aemon or whatever years ago. Who was a Targaryen. Who was a Targaryen. And he says, uh, and Tyrion kind of listens, he says, and sometimes duty is the death of love. Mm. And it's this really powerful thing where, like, like he's had to do that. Like he's, for, he's forsaken this love for like what's best for everybody, even though it's not even a thing. And so Drogon comes up with the dragon and like sees Danny die. He like nudges her, and it's this really sad moment because like his mother. Yeah. And he, he like goes to breathe fire, but instead of breathing it on uh, John, which everyone's like, why would he do that? He melts the Iron Throne, and it shows that Drogon's smart. And he realizes, like, as much as John's done this, this has all happened because of this lust for this iron throne. And he's fulfilling That's his... That's why everyone's saying Drogon. Go, yeah. Go. Okay. Because Drogon yeah. is actually intelligent, is what they're showing, is that he fulfilled his mother's wishes and broke the wheel. He's like, well, this throne has caused all of these seasons of horrible atrocities to happen. And it's led to the death of his mother. Yeah. And so he melts it. And at that moment, John is sent back to, like, very end, John sent back to the Night's Watch. Uh, so they have to elect a king. And the Unsullied and all of Danny's army controls King's Landing. And so Tyrion and John are in their custody. All of the most powerful lords of the realm convene, you know, like, who should be king? And they're like, well, who's, like, the most legitimate? And Sam says, why don't we, like, basically, he pitches democracy and he's ridiculed. But they were like, there will no longer be a king that's selected by bloodline, but all the kingdoms of the realm will come together and will vote on our own king. Because that's what happens. They actually elect Bran. Or Bran. Really? And they call him Bran the Broken because this is, I think, kind of going with our podcast. They say, what brings people together? Is it money? Is it power? What is it? Is it, you know, this great leadership? Like, what brings people together? And Tyrion's like, it's a good story. He says, it is a better story than Bran the Broken. Because he can see the future and the past. Because he can see it all. And he's this boy who was thrown from the top of the tower in a broken, paralyzed boy that's in a wheelchair, went north of the wall by himself, faced the Night King and came back. Yeah. Right? They're like, who's a better story than that? And so they, they elect him king, and the Unsullied won't. But like they want to execute John, and they compromise by saying they'll send him to the Night's Watch, which is actually kind of what he wants. Because one of the things is there's Ghost, who is a direwolf that belongs to John, yeah. and they're very connected. And right after the the final battle with the Night King, he sends him north of the Wall with the Wildlings, and he says he'll be happier there. Which is kind of like John saying, "I would be happier there." And so when he gets to Castle Black, where the Night's watches, he finds that it's just all the wildlings. So he goes north of the wall because earlier in the season, Torment says, You're always walking north of the wall. He's like, You've got, he's got, he's like, You've got the north in you, the real north. What's the, what's the point of the Night's Watch if the, the, the White Walkers are dead? According to Tyrion, he's like, be, There's always going to be a place for the outcasts and the bastards. So that's just a place. Yeah. And so basically, then they, he goes and he becomes like, He goes north of the wall and becomes this which is like kind of what he always wanted a little bit. Because he's never wanted to rule, he just wanted to live simply. Yeah. 
And so that's kind of like what ends up happening. He kind of like becomes like the, the king north of the wall almost. But Sansa doesn't rejoin. becomes the Six Realms, and she is leaning in the north. Okay. And, and so this is kind of like a little bit of wrap-up for him, uh, for Clint. But the themes that I think really run through um, are just like what the lust for power does to us. And like I think the false prophet. And I think that that ultimately is what it is. And I think it's important because everyone wanted John to sit on the throne. But one of the things about this show is that it's not always about like what may seem like the happiest ending. Because John was brought back by the Lord of Light because he was going to be the one that defeated the Night King in terms of like bringing everyone together that needed to be. The other guy was brought back like like you said, like 12 or 13 times was brought back to save Arya. Yeah. And so, it's sad because like the Stark children are all gone off and they'll probably never see each other again. But I think that there is something in that that shows like John could have become the king. Right? Because the Unsullied eventually leave. Like he could have demanded to sit on the throne. But he was like obedient and he was like, no, I'll go back, go back. That he, he was the one character who didn't lust after the power. And that he went he went back to this very simple life. Uh, and that's always what he wanted, right? That he was this great defender of man, right? That he probably was the prince that was promised, the one who defeated the knight. And in the end, he's like, I just want to return humbly back to this this life that I want to lead. Because he almost became a wild thing earlier in the series. Right? And it wasn't until he came face to face with the White Walkers that he said, I have to leave this, what I really want, what I really want is to live here north of the wall. But I have to leave it and return to the realms of this man, the men to save everyone. And so I just want to kind of get your thoughts on all of that. And any other like themes that you think would be important? Yeah, I think we hit on most of the stuff that I'm thinking of right now. I do like that you said Tyrion had a huge part in like bringing the truth to light. Which, based off of what I said at the beginning, I think that's a huge part of, of just his story arc and showing the, the real redemption. Yeah, I, I think what you described to me actually sounds pretty fitting. I know a lot of people have been upset with everything. Maybe I would be too if I if I saw it. I don't know. But based off of what you're saying, I, I, it fits. I think things make sense. Well, I think it's important to remember like what George R. R. Martin really was doing with the show. Like, part of the reason that I think a lot of people have issues with, like, some of the morally bad things, like, morally black stuff that happens in the show, is that George R. R. Martin's ultimately trying to show, like, what real war and real life when people succumb to the worst passions, right? And so that's coupled with great stories of redemption. Yeah. And, like, great stories of good people. And at the end, it's, it's really a story against the light and the dark. But it's not just a story of like life versus death, good versus evil, but it's also reflecting with the Game of Thrones, like outside of the Night King arc, is reflecting like the struggle that people have within themselves and like the struggle of being a good person versus succumbing to our self-interest and hatred and evil. Yeah. Well, I, we talk about this sometimes, I think we talked about it a little bit on last week's episode, or no, it was a couple weeks ago with, with Chris, how in fantasy, a lot of the times we exaggerate certain things to, to kind of get a point, point across. And a lot of times what's exaggerated in stuff like this that, that we like is good and evil. And so we have this clear good and this clear evil. And I don't think we necessarily have that 
in Game of Thrones. Like everyone, like we see good and evil in all these different people. We see we see humanity at its worst, but we all see also see like hope. We yeah. see the light that you're talking about. And we see kind of all the good that can come from it. We talked about it again on that episode on Tolkien, the you catastrophe. The, the good that comes from the, the awful catastrophe, yeah. the evil, and that's what the Christian life is, is about, right? That's what the good news is. Also, I think it's important to remember, so the Lord of Light, which, again, like, even their, their priests, right, their priests, like, do some horrible things, right, assassinations, yeah. and using, like, dark magic sort of stuff, but at the end of the day, you have this Lord of Light that is using even the most broken people to overcome an even greater and like, that's kind of what God does with us. Like, he doesn't ever choose like the righteous, but he's chosen, choosing the broken and leading us on a path of redemption to fight in the spiritual war. And I think like that is an important thing that I think people miss. You know? Yeah. That even these really terrible, like what seem to be sometimes terrible characters, in the end end up having great, great things. And actually one of the saddest parts is that Jamie at the very end has the choice of staying with Brienne of Tarth, who he's fallen in love with, yeah. and it's revealed in the final season. But whenever they're marching the army south to defeat Cersei, he leaves and he goes to Cersei, and he dies with Cersei. Mm-hmm. And it's this really sad thing where, in one aspect, you're kind of like, man, for all of the redemption that he's had, you know, like he went back to it. Yeah. But I think that actually there was something beautiful in that because he always had to live with being the Kingslayer. He was a Kingsguard and protected with him tasked and honor bound to protect the Mad King. And in the end, he went back to being a Queensguard and he, he died with his queen. Yeah. But it also goes to show, like, yeah. even after our redemption, mm-hmm. we can still, still fall. Again. Yeah. Right, so we, we can still, we need to still go back. And actually, his line there is he was like, she's a hateful woman, and I'm hateful too. And then he leaves. And it's like, he just goes back to his old self. Yeah. And I think that that's like, kind of shows like, even like Judas, right? Like Judas and Peter, they both committed the same sin. One repented. One redeemed. Like, yeah. Repented. Repented. One redempted. One redempted. That works. works. It's getting late. Yeah. Thank you very much. Anything else? I think that's pretty much all I have to yeah. cover. Do you have a challenge? Yeah, so I, I, I do. I think this week, I'm going to give you guys like a real challenge. I mean, it's always a real challenge, but like this one, I feel like kind of can be tough because it, it requires a lot of introspection okay. and then action based on that. I want you guys to sit down in some prayer, like some silent prayer, like a really just one-on-one with God. And I want you to ask him and reflect really deeply on all of the times, as best that you can, remembering all the times that God has given you mercy. Like all the times that we stumble and we fall, and that God fallen, and that God has forgiven us and given us mercy, even in times where we're like, I don't deserve His mercy. And then once we're like remembering all of that, I think you guys should go out and do an act of mercy. You know, give that gift of forgiveness and mercy to somebody else. And there's a bunch of corporal and spiritual works of mercy. I mean, pick one of those to do, but I want you, I think, like, maybe you say, okay, I'm going to do this corporal work of mercy, 
And before you go do that service or before you do that prayer with a spiritual work of mercy, you reflect on the mercy God's given you and right before you do it so that it's fresh in your mind and so that it can be a more redemptive experience for you and that other person. I want to add another challenge yeah. in there too, if I can. Obviously, there are a lot of people who watch this show. We talked about at the beginning how our hope for this episode especially was that you can find someone in your life that you can try and have this discussion with. And we barely touched even the tip of the iceberg on stuff that we talk about with, with Game of Thrones. And so my challenge for you is to find someone to have this conversation with. I would recommend not going straight into like as deep as we've just gone, but just like say, hey, I heard about this character, Tyrion. What do you think about him? Yeah. And if they say, like, I like him, then maybe there's something there. Maybe that's a doorway where you can start saying, well, what do you like about him? And from there, you can start talking about this beauty of, of redemption. And, and there's so many different ways you can go about it, but that's just one example. So my challenge for you is find one of the many million or billion, I don't know how many people watch the show, it's a ton of people who watch, and start that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks guys again for joining us on the adventure. Yeah, I just, just really quickly before we get into like shout outs. Yeah. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, please let people know. And we're gonna give a few shout outs and maybe you'll appear in the shout outs uh, with new people. But obviously if you, if you guys enjoy this, that you will help spread the word and that we're doing something good for you guys. But I don't really have a particular shout out this week. I actually I could probably shout out Chris Donato. Met with him recently. He's pretty good answer. It's good to see him again. Yeah. We got a couple shout outs for some new listeners here. So, Landon Lynn and Paolo Piganto. Picato? I don't know how you would say that, but it sounds super Italian. And then, welcome back to a couple listeners who have been listening quite a bit. So, Ben Balto and Bev Koo. So, thank you guys. Welcome back. Thanks for checking stuff out. You guys, thanks again for joining us on the adventure. Reminder if you like this, other than telling all of your friends about us, follow us on social media, reach out to us the conversation with us let us know what you're listening to and what you guys want to hear from us twitter at on the adventure facebook the christian culture youtube the christian culture and if you like what we do steve where can people support us you can support us on patreon patreon and you can go to the christian culture if you want access to our blogs and everything else that we do our videos and all that stuff go check out our website we also have a whole page on there with just different resources of stuff where you can learn how to do a TCIC thing, a Christian culture thing. So check out our website. Yeah, just go check it out. So it's thechristinculture.com. The notes for all this stuff is in the, the subsection of the Also, really quickly, how many patrons do we have right now? We currently have three. Three. If we can get seven more to get up to ten patrons, I promise that I will actually write a blog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hopefully we can get some blogs from Steve before then. Uh, yes, well, I will write blogs before then, hopefully. But, but, if, but, if, but I'm challenging you guys, if you do support us and you get up to 10, I am honor-bound to actually write like John Snow. But one thing I should mention, we still have, we said that for the first five people, each of the patrons would get to choose an episode for themselves. So they get to choose a topic. No one gets to see it for those first five people. We still have two more slots. So if you want to be one of the first five to get a special episode just for yourself, please join soon. And thanks, guys, for joining us on the adventure.
します。